0: Good morning, church. It's uh, good to be back. I think I preached here 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, but I remember the uh, occasion of uh, going away with your elders. I think it was like at Little Bow Provincial Park. I think there's a retreat center there. When we actually uh, spent hours of talking and praying and uh, developing a, uh, your church mission statement. Uh, your, your pastor is a very wise man this past week uh, with the Alliance. Uh, you'll see on the screen our Alliance vision prayer. The Alliance nationally has met in Calgary, 850 delegates, uh, 60 to 70 hours, I think I was physically in that building, and it's a wise pastor who gets someone to preach the Sunday after assembly because uh, uh, if the truth be known, uh, Pastor Scott was out uh, with some of his youth group reunion from 35 years ago till the early hours of this morning. And so uh, he needs a bit of a break as well. Uh, when Stephanie was, was on the, the platform this morning and in the first uh, service, I think uh, Brett and Beth were, were there, sort of brought me back. It was 40 years ago that I graduated from high school. And uh, boy, where is all the time gone? Seriously, uh, time rushes by. 18 months ago uh, was another sort of mile marker in my life. As I sat in uh, my doctor's office after uh, being asked to repeat a couple of uh, what I believe to be routine blood tests, some um, results had come back that were not favorable. And uh, on November the 20th, uh, 2016, my wife and I sat in that office and heard the three words, as they say, <laughs> and they said it to me on that day, that no one ever wants to hear, you, you have cancer. Uh, for me, uh, it, was, it isn't tumor-based. Uh, it's uh, non hodgkin lymphoma, leukemia, which basically means it's, if not now, everywhere in my body. Uh, There's no treatment, and the worst thing is there's no cure. Uh, Within 10 days, I was in the Tom Baker uh, Cancer Center, and by then, my lymphocyte uh, level had increased another 10%. And uh, my whole uh, sense of reality and faith and world and family and emotions was being pulled, being pulled in every single direction. Uh, and over the last months, as we uh, have sort of come to grips with uh, my condition, which will be more chronic in, in uh, the way it develops. Uh, but the fact is, as I stand before you today, there, there's part of me, in terms of my cells, that simply don't want to be part of my body. They've gone rogue on me. Uh, they want to start their own reality. And eventually they'll get bad enough that they'll either poison my body uh, with chemotherapy or they'll burn it with radiation, not to cure it, but to give me a better quality of life. So in these months, in these past 18 months, I, I, I've, I've had some really close conversations with God. Uh, first thing you do, I guess, when you get cancer at my age, I'm 58, uh, you, 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 put your, you, you get your house in order. So last year, Heather and I made our will. Uh, because, that, that's, that's, because these are the intentions of what I want to have happen uh, somewhere down the road when, when if, unless the Lord uh, heals me, I will die of, of cancer. Uh, but I had a good heart-to-heart talk with the Lord, and the Lord said, if I am to finish well in my life, what is the legacy I can leave to my family and to those who follow me that you would want me to leave? And he says, well, Tim, that's... <laughs> It's, it's no secret. It's, it's the same legacy that I've entrusted to everyone uh, who would follow me as, 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 as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and over, the past, uh, over the past week, if you can get the slide of our, our mission prayer up there. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. That's been before us. It's very similar to the words that are on your walls about getting to know God and getting to love God. And the outworking of that will be that you serve him as well. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised with this. Uh, Jesus said, Tim, you've been designed in the very image of God. You have been created to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. The legacy you will live is simply walk with me in this. It's going to be an adventure. And I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. But the legacy of your life isn't to hang on, but it's to make disciples. Who make disciples? Who make disciples? Now, I shouldn't be surprised with that because when we look in Scripture, uh, we all know what the Great Commission says. And sometimes when I go and preach, I will ask a congregation Like you. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Seriously. It only took seven days for God to create the heavens and the earth. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And and when it's ready, I'm going to come back to take you with me to that place. Do you think heaven's ready yet? Seriously, do you think heaven is ready yet? And if so, why does Jesus tarry in his return? Now, when I ask that to most congregations, someone usually shouts out, because we have to fulfill the Great Commission. We've got to preach the gospel around the world. And that is true. However, I would suggest to you this morning, don't obey the Great Commission until you first accept the Great Invitation. You see, the Great Commission was given at the end of the ministry of Jesus, when he had called his disciples onto himself, had lived with them, mentored them, apprenticed them for three years. And when he called them, he simply said this I call it the great invitation come, follow me, and I will make you into something that you're not yet. He called it in those days fishers of men, which basically means disciple makers. So if you accept the great invitation, of following Jesus, that word follow simply means imitate, be apprenticed by, come under the influence or control of. Follow me, and I will make you into someone who can go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. You see the connection between the two? The challenge in the church today, and probably in my life, is that we've been so sort of transfixed with the Great Commission, and to be honest with you, that, that's why I believe that most churches today have e- either plateaued or declining in attendance, because we're, we're all filled with guilt and shame because we're lousy at the Great Commission, seriously. <laughs> I'm telling you today, it's, it's because we haven't fully embraced the great invitation of Jesus personally to follow him, to let our roots sink down into the soil of his spiritual sustenance. And allow him to make something out of our lives. Amen? This is what I'm going to preach on today. This is a message that God has given to me. Uh, whenever I, uh, early days of, of coming alongside your coach, uh, I've always liked your church bulletin because on there you, you've got all these crosses which signify how many people within your fellowship have crossed the line of faith. Praise God. And, uh, Sometimes when uh, so I'm in the area and I pop in, I'm always looking for that. But but let me ask you, uh, based on the fact of tracking that, what happens to those people after they are new babes in Christ? How are they nurtured? How are they brought to maturity in Jesus? Because if we aren't even aware of that, it's I've got three grandsons now, two years, nine months, eight months. To abandon a child after... Uh, They've been born is actually a criminal offense in our country, but so too in the church. Jesus just doesn't want us to cross the line of faith. Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance, to the full, as it were. And we're going to look at a story uh, this morning in Scripture. It's in Mark chapter 11, if you have your Bibles. The story of the fig tree. Let me read it to you. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Why? Because it wasn't the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit of you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So I suppose Jesus was speaking quite loud at that point. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And the next morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Do you ever wonder if Jesus was having a bad day? I remember for years and years and, and most people to this day when we read this passage, we sort of s- we don't make sense of that uh, the fig, the cursing of the fig tree. It sort of reminds me of the uh, the Snickers commercial on TV where someone just hasn't had enough carbs uh, and, and they just need a little shot of energy and uh, here have the snickers bar and then everything clears up. is that what is going on here? Jesus is hungry, He sees this fig tree that it apparently looks healthy, and so he goes for it. There's no fruit, so he curses it. But the Bible says it isn't the season for figs. So what's going on here, Jesus? We always have to keep passages in context and understand the context of the day as well. Why was Jesus hungry? Well, actually in verse 11, I didn't read it. It was actually Palm Sunday. Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And as was his custom, when he came into Jerusalem, he went to the temple. Remember, that's where he got lost by his parents uh, when he was just a young man. He went to the temple, and it says he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve, which would suggest that if it wasn't late in the day, based on what he had seen, something would have happened that night. But because it was late, Jesus went with his friends to Bethany, to the house of Mary. And so his hunger in the morning wasn't probably because he wasn't offered uh, sustenance. It's because all night, I don't think Jesus had a very good sleep that night because what he had seen in the temple caused him to have hunger, spiritual hunger. The Bible tells us that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. And Jesus that day was hungry. And because he had his disciples with him as, as they walked along, he decided to use this fig tree as a word picture. Because you have to understand this. Fig trees in the day of Jesus, when they grew leaves, they also bore fruit at the very same time. Therefore, if you saw a tree in full leaf without any figs, it was a very sick tree. Oh, it gave the appearance of being healthy. It was in full leaf. But as Jesus went to get from this tree, whose purpose was not to grow leaves but to bear uh, fruit, that's why it was called a fig tree, he found nothing. It was barren. It had nothing to offer. Maybe a bit of shade, but no sustenance. And on that basis, he cursed the fig tree in such a way that his disciples heard him say it. When Jesus cursed the fig tree, he was actually doing something (laughs) figuratively I just had to say that because this was actually all about what was about to happen as he went over the crest of the hill and down into Jerusalem because here was this big leafy temple that gave the appearance of health all the people were walking in all the smoke was going up through sacrifices but Jesus saw it as a very barren experience. People were really business uh, busy. In fact, it was big business for what was going on. And on the basis that he deemed the temple to be barren of fruit, he cursed it, just as he cursed the fig tree. He said the purpose for this, for this temple was it was to be a, a house of prayer for all the nations. But you've made it into a den of robbers. And the robbery he spoke of at that day was not simply the exchange rate for people to have the temple currency to purchase an animal that was usually lame or damaged uh, to be sacrificed because why why sacrifice all the good animals anyway? This is is how things have been so perverted as it were in, in the religious experience. But people were being robbed from the ability to commune with God. They were kept busy. They were going through all the hoops and the rings, and and they were being robbed of intimacy with God. And on that basis, Jesus cursed it. He overturned the tables. He started whipping those who were selling and carrying merchandise. And the people were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because they were. He was speaking to the need of the human soul to have intimacy with God. next day, as they were walking past that fig tree that had been cursed, they noticed that it had withered from where? From the root. And the principle in spiritual life, friends, and the spiritual uh, principle that I want to share with you today is quite simple. Because in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where people came to meet with the Lord, God, and made sacrifices. Jesus has made the ultimate sacrifice, and now Scripture says is that you yourselves, your bodies, are the temple of the living God and that God lives in you through his Holy Spirit. Amen? So it's all about what's happening inside us. And we come together as a community of faith on a regular basis. But what is happening inside you right now is of extreme importance to Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made. Here's the principle. No root, no fruit no root, no fruit. And that's what happened to the tree, and that's what happened to the temple, and that is what can easily happen to you and me when we don't learn this this principle. I wish uh, I was back 40 years ago, just graduating from high school, because in the generation in which Scott and I uh, grew up, it just seemed as though we were put through programs and we were kept busy in church But the understanding is that at the other end of all this activity would appear a mature believer who knew how to disciple other people. And that's simply not true. It's simply not true. I wish I had been taught and it had been impressed upon me to spend the predominantly majority amount of my time growing root in Jesus Christ and bearing fruit in him. Everywhere you look in scripture through these lens, you realize that God wants us to use us. This is his plan A, and there's no plan B for the now evangelization and, 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 and the Jesus plan for the salvation of the earth is through you and me to make disciples. And I never do it, but I know if I were, probably less than 5% of people in this building right now would stand and say, right now I'm in a discipling relationship, and that person within two years will disciple someone else. In Jesus' mind, that was the normative experience. When he called his disciples onto him, said, I've been with you three years. I've, I've taught you everything you need to know. Now all, have, all authority on heaven and earth that has been given to me, I give to you to go and make disciples. And you know what? I'm going to be with you all the way along. He had shown them in the feeding of the 5,000, my favorite parable of all times, because it has to do with food, is that the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 did not happen when the loaves and fishes were in the hands of Jesus. Do you realize that? The actual miracle of multiplication happened when those elements were in the hands of the disciples. Don't miss that. Can you imagine being a disciple that day? Having these morsels and coming along, and well, can you imagine just coming along? And, you, and, and okay, Jesus told me to give you some. Here, here, here take, take some. Nope, not too much. <laughs> not, not, not too much. Because <laughs> this has to go so far. But the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't so much where they had in their hands, but that they were ready to go and follow in obedience to Jesus. And the miracle happened there. The same things, friends, will happen when your roots are in Jesus. You don't go into the world and make disciples out of human wisdom, having all the answers, being an apologist in terms of knowing. In fact, I've got a whole list of questions that I always say, Lord, I guess when I get to glory, we'll, we'll talk about this one. But my roots are growing deeper and deeper into Jesus. And as that happens, something happens in my life. It's fruit. And the Bible says, by their fruit you will know them. By their fruit. So how do we actually become spiritually mature in Christ? It says in the book of Colossians, so then as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord... So continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. You see, you have to excavate, first of all, before you escalate in your life. You have to dig down and be planted. And that's the essence of a seed. A seed will send down roots so that the, when the wind blows, there, there's stability there as well. And so too in our faith. As we learn more and more about Jesus, the opportunity is given for us to do two things. To bear fruit as a priority, and to grow leaves through our activity. Leaves are not bad, but leaves without fruit is a deadly, disastrous design for living as a Christian. Do you remember right back to the book of Genesis? Everything is going really, really well. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. Then they ate the fruit. Sin entered the the world. And remember the first thing that they did. They hid. Because they were full of shame. Why were they full of shame? Because now they realized they were naked. And what did they do? What did they cover themselves with? Fig leaves. Ding. All the way through Scripture, when, whenever you you read about fig leaves, it's always to cover up something that you don't want anyone else to see. Usually it's a a state of barrenness or nakedness, as it were, and that we have something to hide. The fig tree did. It was barren. It gave the impression that everything was great, full of leaves, but it was barren. And so easy in, in the church today, in our spiritual walk with the Lord and in fellowship with each other, easy to cover our spiritual life with fig leaves because we get really busy in the church. We need to be busy, but as an outworking of the fruit in our life, not in replacement of it. In fact, as you, as you watch the, the screen as it came in, go to Beth Moore. I can't go to Beth Moore, but some of you can go to Beth Moore. You got the whoop-up thing coming. 2,000 people will be here on August 20th. You need to be involved in that, not, not to keep you busy, but as you become a disciple of Jesus, that's the kind of place you want to be as a disciple of Jesus. Why? To connect with people who don't know him, who are going to hell without him. But friends, don't fill up your calendar with busyness at the church and then be so exhausted at the end of it So, say, well, oh, that was a good week. That's a barren experience in terms of your spiritual growth. And you know, as I said, I I wish this had been tattooed on my body 40 years ago. Because I've spent too much of my life being busy for Jesus. Without the bounty of bearing fruit. That should have come in exact ratio to the amount of busyness that I have been for him it says in this verse, see, see to it that no one takes you, from, takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. In our world today, in the church today, that's called consumerism, where people decide on which church to go to based on what that church has to offer them. That's what consumerism is. And if they don't have their needs met, they simply go to another church until they find the place that fills their plate, as it were. Consumerism is rampant in the church. And consumerism is a sign, I believe, of spiritual immaturity in which we have crossed the line of faith, but we've taken our eyes off Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we simply look around and we figure out how the game is played. And the church becomes little more than a Christian club in which we sort of we pay our money and then we expect things to be given to us. And we sort of settle on a level of spiritual status quo whereby you sort of know when to stand and sit, sort of I'm supposed to give a tenth, but. Whatever's in the pocket at the time, for some people, uh, in terms of spirituality, we know John three sixteen, King James version. Forty <laughs> five out of the ten, sort of uh, commandments, and we just get by, and that becomes the basis of our spiritual experience. But Jesus has a far deeper and broader, and more fruitful experience for us. In John fifteen, I call it the disciples' divine life. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Because that's what happens when you remain in Jesus. The word remain or united in. Have you ever sort of slipped and and, and fallen? And imagine you're falling over the edge of a cliff and there's a branch that's rooted there and, and you just grasp for anything for the sake of survival. That is the picture of this word remain. You're clinging on for your dear life. And as you do that, something happens. The very life of Jesus flows in us and through us. It says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you will go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And fruit that lasts is fruit that is rooted in the soil of Jesus, in an intimate relationship with God. So we're rooted in Christ. The deceptive philosophy of our faith and the schemes of the devil would continue and convince you that you cannot make disciples and that you would be a lousy, and you are a lousy disciple because you don't make disciples. That's a life in the pit of hell. Because by the nature of your design, Jesus has created within you the capacity. And you just have to bring the availability for his ability to allow you to make disciples. And this is how it happens. You be an imitator of Jesus Christ. Years ago, kids wore that little bracelet. What would Jesus do? Remember that? I think that, 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 that's basically the question you ask every moment of every day. What would Jesus do in this circumstance? If you don't know, you open scripture. It's right there. There's principles there. And also, Jesus didn't live his ministry in isolation. He got a band of brothers around him. And in these days, one of the ways that we basically get through our Christian experience, through all the leaves of busyness, is that we simply don't open up our lives to others. Our spirituality is a personal experience. How God uh, presents himself as a trinity shows us that he is in community within the plurality of himself. And friends, you need to be in community with other believers. Not only for your sake, but for theirs. For men, it's harder than for women. Women seem to be more relationally bent. But men are relationally broken in that we just don't want to talk about stuff inside. We're good at doing, and, and so we'll get together and do things, but we'll never go deep. And over the last few years, God has broken me time and time again, even this past week, about roots in my life that don't belong there. For me, it was the root of shame. When I was a young man, we immigrated from England. When I was four, that's why I don't have an English accent, and from Southampton to Montreal, my dad had been there six months before he picked us up. Eight months later, my, my mother died of pancreatic cancer. And my dad was devastated. I was sent with my brother to live with another family for a year. saw my dad once a week. My dad remarried another beautiful Christian woman who's been my mother the last 53 years. But in my dad working out his story and uh, being British, the stiff upper lip, my natural mother was never spoken of, ever, ever. In fact, when the new family tree was written, she wasn't even on it we had this big sort of secret history. On the outside, the Beatles, we did quite well. We won awards at school and music and athletics and things like this. But inside, there's this root of shame. I hadn't done anything wrong. That's guilt. But shame is that something was wrong in my life. 20, 20 years I lived with that until I took a course on counseling and they said unless you really figure out your childhood you know you can't help others and so yeah I sort of talked to my mom and dad about the fact that I didn't even know where my mother was buried It's was embarrassing but 20 years later I realized that that root of shame had not fully been pulled out And so for me, it was easy just to live a life in which I please people, not only that I'm a number two child, a middle child. I can make people laugh. But inside myself was a real spirit of insecurity because that root of shame had never been dealt with. Praise God, I dealt with it this past week. God told me what it was all about and now it's gone. The fact that I'm telling you today is that there's many people, many men in this room today who are broken or perhaps have some sort of a root and it's causing addiction in your lives. It's not the addiction and and, and you're frustrated and you're always defeated because you're dealing with the symptoms, not the cause root. We are to be rooted in Jesus, friends. And when we are rooted in Jesus, it's amazing what happens. He invites us into an experience of fullness and restoration and repair. And he then allows us, based on our brokenness, to go into the world and tell our story to create what's called a testimony because the Bible says, always be ready to give an answer to, to anyone who asks you for the hope that's inside. And you don't have to have it all figured out. You simply have to know who's walking with you. Friends, making disciples is what disciples do. And only disciples make disciples. Church programs don't. They provide wonderful opportunities for personal learning and development, but only disciples make disciples, and making disciples is what disciples do. That's the plan of God for you. Let me give you some practical application here. First of all, you have to believe in the nature of your design. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's masterpiece, his handiwork. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's planned in advance for you to do. (laughs) So you don't have to go looking for anything. God's already got this all figured out. But you have to follow him, not in your own strength, but you need to be filled or come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit? Guaranteeing your inheritance until the return of Christ. That that word seal is the same one that was put on the tomb of Jesus, the same one that was put over the uh, den of of lions where Daniel went inside and that seal means, imperial seal means, don't touch this or you die because what's inside belongs to whoever put the seal on there. You've been sealed by God with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, you need to be imitators of Jesus. That's what it means to follow him. And if you're not imitating Jesus or following him, who are you following today? And it's a life of love and obedience, and in the same way now, you simply let your light shine. Jesus, the light of the world. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's an adventure. It's scary. It causes you to basically jump in the deep end of the pool and not sure if you know how to swim. It's a life of adventure. And this is the journey that God has called me on for the rest of my life, that I will leave a legacy of disciple makers. Within the Alliance, although we are building big churches and all the rest of it, We are not good at this. Reverend uh, Clyde Glass at Southview Alliance in Calgary put out a video a couple of years ago, and he said, I'm I'm embarrassed to say, with all the education that we have, we have 2,000 people in our church, and all the staff we've hired, and all the programs we run, he said, we suck at disciple-making. And as soon as he said that, everyone else said, you know what, (laughs) we do too. And if we could covenant and commit to take this journey together, I've got young Pastor Aaron here. I've got Aaron on a disciple-making wisdom board with me. And that disciple-making wisdom board, we meet twice a year, and and, and we we want to create a culture of disciple-making in which we say we're not good at this, but we learn to be obedient to Jesus, to change the world because of him. Let me close by saying this. With the Alliance prayer behind me, Someone said on our discipleship wisdom board, if we aren't making disciples, can we claim that this is actually our purpose? Sort of hit us like a ton of bricks. And this is now the standard by which we are going to evaluate each other. In our district office, we are all now in disciple-making relationships. And we have to make room. We're all busy, but this becomes now the top priority for our lives. And I would invite you to consider making this a priority for yours as well. Have all your events here, have all your activities, but never use them as excuses for bearing fruit. Don't expect this to be the work of your pastors or leaders. Each one of us has called it to obey Jesus in this way. And so the choice is yours, and with this I conclude this morning. Uh, I live in North uh, Calgary, and I see planes at the airport taking off landing, and I've always been fascinated by planes and and flight. I've never really figured out how this giant bird of steel by simply whipping down the runway actually takes off. I don't see it flapping its wings. I've been on planes, and the pilot says, okay, I'm going to count to ten, and I want everyone to jump up in their seat, and and we're going to get this baby off the ground. Uh, I've tried the principle of driving fast and over a bump on the deerfoot, but that hasn't happened. So we have to understand how it works. You see, planes and everything are held down by a certain principle. It's called the law of gravity. But you realize at the same time there's another law, a higher law, a more powerful law, always present as well. And so a plane takes off by positioning itself, facing the wind, extending its flaps or rudders as it were, and just going really fast. And by the nature of a design of an airplane, you see an airplane was designed to fly. It'll take off because at some point it submits itself to a higher principle rather than being held down by the law of gravity. It submits to the law of aerodynamics and it. And it fulfills the nature of its design. Dear friends, you were designed to make disciples. Jesus said, follow me and I'll show you how. (laughs) And they go into all the world to make them in my power, my presence. And somehow we, for too long, decided to simply stay on the ground under whatever law is keeping you there. And I pray in these days based on the word of God bear fruit for him. Don't settle for leaves and busyness in your spiritual life. Soar in the spirit. Can we bow in prayer? Jesus, time is of the Element, as it were, we don't have a lot of time. We're very busy people. I guess you were too, Jesus. (laughs) You only had three years to fulfill what you were planning to do on earth before you gave your life for us. But in that time, you spent time with your Father and you invested your life in others. As we bow in your presence right now, Father, we thank you for the example and the life of Jesus, fully God, fully man. And then for the Holy Spirit, who is promised as the Parakletos, the one who comes beside to counsel us and comfort us, and perhaps this morning convict us that we've settled for second best in following you. As we pause in your presence, the Spirit speaks to us. And I'd ask the Spirit to actually tug at the roots of your faith right now. Right now, to tug at the roots of your faith. Do they go down deep into his love, into his grace? Setting aside all performance and anything you ever wanted to earn from God that you can never can because he loves you just as you are. Would this be a day of liberation from you where you say, Jesus, <laughs> the, trees, the tree is pretty bare these days. Lots of leaves but little fruit. In my hidden life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, in each of our lives, continue to contend with us, to convince us that there is no life to be lived other than the life of sold out, reckless abandonment to Jesus Christ. That we walk in faith, not in shame or guilt or fear but in embracing all that you have, that we can follow you. For many of us, this will be baby steps, just walking forward, having a change of posture, and being freed, perhaps, from the pressure of performance that we've been operating under. Dear Lord, bless my friends this morning university-drive Alliance Church. Be known by its ability to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples for the salvation of the world and have a lot of fun doing it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you do each week, for those who want to come forward to pray, I sort of say it's kind of ironic. I'm going to invite you to come under the tree. That's what we've been talking in Scripture today in terms of roots. We're going to meet under the tree there. I'm going to stick around and pray. I'd love to pray with you, share more of my journey. Pray for me in my journey as I'll continue to pray for you. May God bless you richly. May you feel his pleasure as he infuses you with his blessing and peace in these days. And all God's people said, may God bless you.